1: like kobe in a fourth quarter this is the more nba podcast brought to you by the genesis company coming at you friday afternoon it's may 26th and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a few different things today uh with the conference finals kind of wrapping up i think it's a good time to reflect on the playoffs as a whole uh and kind of through a wolves lens i think that makes sense to some degree and this this episode is i think it's a way of both talking about the finals and about the wolves i mean for me personally i think my view of what has what makes a real winning team in the nba today has kind of evolved as every season kind of does that so we'll we'll talk a little bit about what has changed how our perceptions have changed and if that translates uh, over to the wolves we'll also then just dig into Celtics heat which is still going on we'll talk about the nuggets taking down the lakers and just what got those four teams to to the final 4 there too um because we, we have these six days until the finals start on, on June 1st. I also wanted to remind you guys before we get started, so I don't forget uh, that Britt and I will be at Falling Knife on June 1st for that Game 1 uh, of the finals. We're going to do one of our little live show things before. The game starts at 6.30, so we're going to start recording at 6.30. I'm sure we'll we'll talk a bit at the beginning about just that matchup, kind of previewing. Game one, uh, we'll do that live, but we'll also take listener questions, and we can certainly get into Wolves stuff uh, there as well. So, again, just put that on your calendar. Um, It's supposed to be, like, hot out next week, so but I think kind of by, like, 7.30, and maybe it'll be cooled down a little bit so we can watch the game, even out on the patio. Falling Knife has that TV truck that they're going to have for the game. Good thing we'll be at a brewery. Exactly, right? (laughs) And that's my guest, uh, Britt Robson, for this episode and for that uh, for that live show. Uh, Britt, let's uh, again reflect on these playoffs a little bit, and and as I sent you the message this morning, do it a little bit through at uh, Wolveslands. I'm just kind of, I don't even really know what I I think about this necessarily, but it has been a unique playoffs, right? In in the sense that. Again, if we presume it's Nuggets Heat, which I don't think we should necessarily do given where we're at, um, that's a pretty different type of champion that we're going to have yeah. this year. Uh, it's also, I think in a lot of ways, a pretty different type of Final Four we've had with a seventh seed and an eighth seed, and then maybe Boston's the more typical type of uh, ascendant team. But just when you think about the league landscape as a whole, and you think about how that how the wolves, the shadow of the wolves, kind of fits into that. Has your thoughts at all uh, evolved, or in which ways have your thoughts evolved about what it takes to be a a team that can get to this level, to the conference finals um, of the NBA, and and how do and how where the wolves are at. Do you believe in that more? Do you believe in that less? How has it evolved? The double big vision, the ant as the one cat, all those sort of things. Has has your vision evolved?
2: Well, my appreciation for the way the game is being played right now has evolved overall. I I love the fact that uh, it's team over talent Um, and that isolation basketball is kind of being shown up right now. Ball movement is really ascendant. Pressure on the ball is really ascendant, taking, you know, turning the ball over and scoring in transition and making three pointers are all extremely important in these playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the it used to be, um, at least the legend would have it. I mean, I, I saw all these games, so I know that it's not quite as dominant as the legend would have it, but it used to be that your stars, took over the games and had usages north of 40 because they were the guys. And the guys around them were just there to facilitate the stars and not do too much on their own. Um, That certainly has not been the case. Uh, Boston played their best game of this series and perhaps their entire playoffs last night. And it was the first time all year that they had four guys score over 20 points. And while Tatum remained probably the main cog and had a lot of counting stats aside from points, um, you had, you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart and Derek White, really, really important, especially in terms of their outside shooting, in terms of being beneficiaries of ball movement you had Al Horford now suddenly become again a three-point threat and also a guy who was being more active with his hands and with his feet. Um, and this has been typical. I mean, the Knicks failed because it was a one-man team, kind of in Jalen Brunson at the end of the day. The Lakers, as much as they tried to get other people in the mix, it was about LeBron and AD at the end of the day. Even the Warriors, to some extent, I mean – as good as Kavon Looney was, and Kavon Looney's illness, I think, contributed to the Warriors dropping a couple of those games. Um they had a little bit more of that dominance. Uh all I'm saying is that the teams that featured one or two players are not doing as well. Or if they have those guys who are featured, it's a guy like Jokic, or it's a guy like Butler, it's a guy or Bam. Guys that basically are part of a culture that they have engendered, and also the team has surrounded them with like-minded people within that culture. It's much more of an organic style of excellence than it is a uh instead of, you know, you grow a beautiful garden rather than trying to grow the biggest thing right, to yeah. win win at the state fair, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it, it really does feel like uh, basketball because of the athleticism and because of the three-point line and analytics and everything coming into the mix, um, teams are learning, I think, more and more what is required uh, to be resilient mm. um, because it is a make-or-miss league with these three-pointers. It's no coincidence that the three teams left – of the top three in the playoffs thus far in three-point percentage. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, making shots still really matters. But how those shots get open and how you – sometimes it's transition. Sometimes it's good ball movement. Sometimes it's really good pick and roll. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel as much like ISO basketball is as important. And so to the extent that that all fits into the Wolves framework, as with so many other things – When we talk about the wolves, some of it kind of works and some of it clearly doesn't, you know, for the wolves. And, you know, they don't have a culture yet. Uh, They're working on it and it's been tweaked a few times, Uh, but they don't have a Miami Heat culture. And they don't have a consistency of building, which ironically, you know, the hobo here helped foster a tremendous amount. Although shout out to Calvin Booth for getting Bruce Brown and uh, KCP. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, those, those are great pickups. So anyway, the point being, I find it a lot more fun. I, I've never liked hero ball. I don't like super teams. Anybody who's listening to me knows this. I like guys who get their noses dirty, who like to move the ball, who like to play defense, who have a little bit of an edge, but are not arrogant in terms of, their stardom they're arrogant in terms of what they can do for their team
1: I, as i've been kind of re- reflecting on this and thinking about it honestly through the lens of okay you know probably heat nuggets right and I, I think a lot of what what people have pointed to with the nuggets specifically right is kind of like Jokic as dirk circa 2011 i think there's also been The maybe Denver is building a culture with Jokic as their Tim Duncan to kind of be a Spursy, you know, mini dynasty sort of here. And and I I think that works, which is a way of like more kind of broadly saying, I feel like we're back 10 years in a way where it's but it wasn't only right that the Mavs and the Spurs who won there, too. It was also the Heat in the early 2010s, which was the super team. And uh-huh. so what, what I think we're getting back to is both might be able to work. Where, mm-hmm. Whereas in the latter part of the 2010s, the Warriors-Cavs sort of time period there, it, it felt like only super teams, right? That was, mm-hmm. that, was the, that was the way to win. And I think teams were built accordingly, right? We've seen, I mean, the Wolves is an example too of kind of this, you need to go all in to get it. Uh, type of mentality for roster construction and i'm i'm kind of nostalgic for that those early 2010s times and and think that's i just like the idea of there being multiple ways that you can win and again it felt like we ran into a wall there where it only felt like one way which almost felt like it precluded a market or a team like a denver to be able to to ascend to this level so i think it's one i think it's it's cool that uh, we have a team in the Nuggets back there, but I think it's also, I think it's also encouraging for teams like the Wolves who operate in that more mid-market sphere, like like a Denver team does. That uh, that you, you that you could get there, and that maybe right. the way to do it—not that the Wolves have done this perfectly—but it's some sort of fusion of both of the ideas of building linearly over time. Right. Building that culture that you alluded to, the culture that Denver's built, Mm -hmm. but also by stacking your chips and putting them in at at one time. I think both things can work, even though we're sitting here today and looking and reflecting at, okay, the Clippers, that balloons kind of deflated. There's a lot of teams who have gone, quote unquote, all in recently that it's like, oh, maybe that was that was a mistake. Yeah. right? Right. But I I don't think. I don't think that this is the only way that you can win now, right? I don't think it's Mm -hmm. just the Butler and the culture and the Nuggets and the culture thing. Like, I do think the right super team could, you know, flood that with with talent. I think that it that's that's still possible. It's it's both, and it's it's just it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting time, and and whether it's logical or not, it seems to be the pattern over the last couple decades of the ways. That teams are built are a a taking a blueprint from what has recently happened, and right. it's a
2: copycat league. Mm-hmm. Always has been to some extent,
1: but it's like maybe maybe there's different cats to copy. I, I guess uh, yeah. Wh- yeah. which is yeah, which no. again is just cool. I, I'm as ba- a basketball enjoyer, uh, glad that a team like Denver can beat a team like the Lakers in the way that they are built. But also, like, the Lakers shouldn't be precluded from winning championships or a team that has right. money. Like, if we were a Lakers fan or a Clippers fan or whatever, you'd be behind that idea in ways, too, if you're a fan, right, cheering for it. So, I don't know. We're, we're just in this kind of interesting middle ground laying maybe not new blueprints, but uh, but different ways uh, for, for roster construction. I'm fascinated to see how that moves into the off season and kind of these next couple of years of how how teams are built, particularly if Denver becomes that Spursy kind of mini dynasty.
2: Right. I would push back in a couple of ways. One of the ways I figured you might that um, <laughs> the three point shot is you know it we we forget because it's kind of leveled off into a high plateau of what it means to the game. But from 2010 to 2018, say, Mm
1: -hmm. it
2: was it skyrocketed in Mm -hmm. terms of its importance. Sure. And 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 I think that. Dirk to pick one, you know, I mean, imagine Dirk, if he had worked on his tray, the way you would almost have to have a shooter like Dirk work on his train out. Mm. Or, you know, for that matter, Chris Bosch, how important he was on those corner threes. You know, he was such a crucial third wheel there. Um, And then to jump forward, uh, as great as Jokic is, oh my God. I mean, Murray has has basically seized a couple of games uh, that they were going to lose. And so, and Jokic had a lot to do with that. But also, you know, that two-man game that they have is devastating, you know. And part of the reason it's devastating is because both of those guys could bury an open three, both of them. Mm. Uh, you know, you've got a seven-foot-one guy who's shooting over 40%, and almost all of his shots are above the break. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just this—it's this fascinating element that is added. And then you look at the Celtics, you know. Uh, who just bombard threes? If the Celtics are making, they're basically three- the Rockets.
1: I mean, I, I yeah, don't feel like right. that comparison is is made enough. And I right, like right. that, they are playing offense like the James Harden and Chris Paul Rockets did again of that sort of era, previous era right, that right. we're talking about.
2: With the exception that they play much better defense, in my opinion. True. You know, and that they have guys who are more switchable and more complete players. Mm-hmm. The thing about the Rockets is they had two guys in Paul and Hart, I mean, at their best, I thought, and then surrounded them with guys like Tucker and Mabute and, you know, Capella, guys who just basically, you know, were there to pound on people. And uh, Horford is a modern big. Grant Williams is a modern big. Uh, You know, Robert Williams, a little less so, but still really fluid in terms of the way he moves on the court. Um, the Celtics are switchable. they play great defense uh when they, they get into people. they were you know on paper arguably the best you know second in offensive rating second in defensive rating uh in the season lost one more game than top ranked Milwaukee I mean they were regarded as i saw them as the second best team you know without even looking at the one lost records I put the odds of Miami winning the ring, Boston being second. Milwaukee, ring. I mean,
1: you had Milwaukee yeah, boy, yeah. and then Boston. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. And so um, I do think that what you're saying is accurate. I, what I would push back on with the super teams is that um, the reason that they're called super teams is because those guys are already clearly super. Mm. And I think what they have to do what, what general managers have to learn how to do, including Tim Connolly in Minnesota, is stop chasing stars who are slightly past their peak. Yes. And that's what almost all the super teams do, which, in my opinion, is exactly why they seem to do well but not meet expectations.
1: Mm, yeah. I
2: mean, I think it's becoming obvious that Kevin Durant could not take a team to a ring by himself.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and you could say that about um, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard for various reasons. And, and with the Clippers, you almost have to say it about Steph. Um, you know, although y- you can't ever count that out. But, but, but that's uh, what it point, kind
1: of is, is like, that. that's the nuance in this, right? Is it's this, right. it's this kind of amalgamation of different styles, right? Where, Steph and the Warriors in ways are the, or have been the super team, but they're also the culture right. team and the right. Celtics are all like it in ways have that Celtics or that, that heat element to it. Oh my God, I'm scribbling rockets, <laughs> screwing these all of yeah, the rockets, rockets element something. to it, but in ways they kind of have, you know, they have one of the best players in the league in in Jason Tatum right. and a, a in ways, super in in and of themselves, and they're not past them, their prime. So it's just, exactly. it's just like we could Lego each one of these teams together and be like, oh, they got a brick of the Oklahoma City Thunder from twenty right. twelve, or they got a, you know, and it's, I and don't know what
2: flaw do they have to overcome, you know, and in the, in the case of the Celtics, mm-hmm. perhaps it's three head coaches in three years, yes, you know, or perhaps it's that, uh, you know, as great as Jalen Brown is, and I love him, you know a sense that uh, his shot selection and turnovers make him perhaps not the best guy to be running the show, you know, toward the end of the game or whatever. But I mean, there are ways you have to balance people's roles. It is the thing I love most about basketball is that the chemistry is at once so dynamic and so fluid and yet so obvious when it does and doesn't work, yeah. so that it can be tinkered with. You're constantly trying to make the concoction that gives you the explosion you want. Uh and it's a delicate process for an explosive result. It's it's a wonderful, it's wonderful to watch. I mean, I love the playoffs. I love what's happening now. I love the fact that you know the Celtics are making this a series. I would not have said this is a series worth talking about um, even after game four, but that game five was uh, a thumping. And if they do it again, then they're almost certain to win game seven. If they eke it out in game six, then we'll have another phenomenal game in game seven, I think. But the point being that uh, things careen, And yet the foundations upon which the careening is happening have to be really rock solid. And so you get this great combination of culture and continuity and yet continual innovation and improvisation. That's what makes basketball great. And that's what makes basketball especially great when you're at the highest levels of it, which we are right now.
1: I want to hold on to that continuity element because when we're when we're talking about I don't know my stupid Lego analogy that seems to be a critical brick in this and I think that is an interesting element as we as we think about it from the wolves' perspective let's grab our first break and then I want to continue on this with uh, with Brit Today's show is brought to you by land and lore if you're a dude who is still washing your face using a bar of soap or nothing at all this one is for you it's time to stop living like a caveman and start taking care of yourself with Land and Lore, the only men's skincare brand that doesn't suck. Let's face it, if you don't look good, you don't feel good, and if you don't feel good, you're not going to do good. So start your day off like you care, and use Land and Lore. Your partner will thank you, and we'll be proud of you for at least trying. Fans of the podcast have even more reason to start caring. Use promo code 20Caveman at checkout on amazon.com to get 20% off our face cleaner or moisturizer, and extra credit if you leave a review. That's two zero caveman for twenty percent off land and lore at amazon.com. These two products are proven to help you look your best. So upgrade your life with land and lore today. Your face and your partner will thank you for it. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks and for Saturday night Celtics heat matchup Prize Picks has Jimmy Butler's more or less than numbers set at 28 and a half points. So maybe if you like Miami to get it done in game six, then maybe you like Jimmy to go over that number and maybe you think that means a lesser game from Jason Tatum. They've got Tatum's number set at 30 and a half points. I personally like Al Horford as I was looking at this. His number set at seven points. I think I see a likely world where Horford scores more than seven uh, in game six. But Price Picks has a whole list of players with a number set for their points, rebounds, assists, made three. So if you're feeling like you have a beat on this series and want to throw a couple picks out there, do try out Prize Picks. Head to prizepix.com or download the Prize Picks app, and Prize Picks will throw you a $100 sign-up bonus with the promo code DANE. That's promo code DANE at PrizePicks.com or on the Prize Picks app. All right, back with Britt Robson. Britt, that continuity piece that you're talking about, I think we're, we're talking about all the elements that are requirements, I think, in the NBA today to get to... I, I don't I don't view success as just a championship, but like this right. level of where we're at, the the Final Four, like that's the goal. That's the that's the aiming point, and then you know you get there and you fight, and and you see who right. who wins right. the fight. Two good people, but two good teams are going to be there. One's going to lose, or three, right. pretty much four great teams. Once you yeah, the whole idea that
2: fifteen franchises have to be furious at their team yeah. at the end of the season has never been something I've endorsed.
1: Yet the in the team that we cover. That is, a kind of an abiding uh, feeling. Is that? Is that? Is that fury? And 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 it's a. Well, every fan base has that. You know,
2: I mean, it's. I've gotten in trouble on Twitter, you know, (laughs) calling them out. You know, so I mean, it 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 is what it is. But you're right. The the continuity aspect of it. Um. This. Has not happened for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And one of the benefits, uh, and I'm sorry, I, to, I probably hijacked whatever you were going to no, talk no, no. about, uh, uh, but essentially, one of the benefits, as much as I have come to dislike the Gobert acquisition, is it changed the parameters upon which you think
1: mm-hmm. about
2: what you're doing. And now, you're not going to scrap everything. You know, even if you make a bold move and trade cat or trade Gobert or do something like that, you're still thinking along the lines of what have we known that we can sustain? You're not tearing it down to the studs anymore. You are tearing it down slightly because you want to innovate and get to that point where you have that chemistry reaction i was talking about that gives you the right combination of things and you have more evidence that what chemistry works because you have more compelling ingredients to mix mm. and so when you have a bunch of young players that you hope are going to be good and you're putting your hopes on how much better will they get even though we don't really know if they are actually good good (laughs) anyway then that's that's the wolves mindset of its fan base and and frankly of its organization for quite some time now because the stakes have been raised um you have to think i mean if the wolves finish 500 again heads will roll and things will change in 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 interesting ways uh that wasn't the case you know uh, since you know o three o four o five o six you know right around in there. So
0: anyway, it's
2: it's a new dynamic, and it enforces continuity or the type of change that uh, is is purposeful rather than tearing it down to tear
1: it down. Yeah. Well, it, the idea of continuity, it, it seems to me, can be a double edged sword, right? It's you right. know it, I, I while we were talking before, I just pulled up the NBA like just the the list of the the two teams are in and i'm looking at this and it's 2019 the raptors win the championship nick nurse is their coach he's no longer the coach of their team 2020 the lakers win the championship frank vogel's their coach. coach no longer their coach 2021 mike budenholzer's their coach no longer you know no longer the coach udoka went to the finals in in 2022 for a different reason no longer the coach and so the the lack of continuity the, the concept of of intentionally disturbing continuity is bizarre in in hindsight it, it it can be particularly when we look at like what are the great teams of the the 2000s they they they've had that the the spurs the warriors the all those sort of things but it's not completely wrong to get away from continuity too and because continuity can can also be a dangerous way to find yourself on that treadmill of mediocrity, right? By keeping some things the same. It's it is it is both, you know? And I think that's what applies to the wolves part of it, where it's like, man, it 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 does seem like there would be value and continuity of keeping this forward. But within that value is a risk that you are actually just getting yourself onto a a treadmill of mediocrity or or maybe even slightly above mediocrity. And is that a dangerous path to commit to? At the same time, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to ask, and it's a hard question to, you know, for Tim Connolly and, and that group to, you know, to really need to think about. But in my opinion, I, I I think it's I think it's both. I think there's arguments to be made both ways, or elements to point out on both sides of it. You, you were you looked eager to say something in the middle of that.
2: Well, I I think that one of the problems I had with the coaching uh, idea. Is that those were what I would call spoiled fan bases? Um, they were Toronto, Toronto. Uh, I, well, I guess Toronto. Right and now. then all of a sudden, well, Nick Nurse is something, you know, it was that was three years ago, you know, since then he's had two bad years,
1: you right, know, right.
2: or, you know, whatever, Frank Vogel, you know, you, yeah, you want to ring and you were a bum all the, all the time, you know, I mean, this whole idea. One of the things that did happen in the 2010s you were talking about is Greg Popovich ran the Spurs. Eric Spolster ran the Heat. Rick Steve Carlisle ran the, ran the Mavs. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had this, and it's because the super teams have not worked out. Well, guess who gets fucked when <laughs> your super team doesn't work out? Your yeah. head coach right. because you're not going to blame, you know, your two or three pole stars. And so I think that's part of it. And if you win a ring, it, it's it's kind of it's funny. If you don't win a ring, uh, the lesser version of that is the guy who gets named Coach of the Year because he's taken a a four hundred team to a five sixty winning percentage, yeah. and now everybody expects him to either maintain that or get up to sixty percent. You know, and then lo and behold, you are back to five hundred, and you're yeah. gone. You know, see you later, Dwayne Casey. So it's you know one of those things where I agree with what your greater point was. Your I might have point. I might have
1: overfocused on the coaching element of yeah, that. but but yeah. your
2: greater point is that we can take my aspect of a chemistry experiment, your aspect of a Lego. We're both kind of saying the same thing, which is it's a the mixture is multifaceted and nuanced and the winning formula can't stay the same and that's the great thing about a dynamic sport is that what worked two years ago isn't going to work necessarily and because teams are out there you know freelancing and trying to figure it out i mean we got guys like chet and victor wemba you know and these other guys what's his real name
1: Wembayama, that wasn't that bad. Yeah, well, okay, it was a good yeah. dude's little nickname. I'm gonna I might use that. <laughs> but so Not Wemby. Wemba.
2: Wait, wait, there you go. Uh, yeah, like Pancho. But uh anyway, I do think that as game changers come in, whether those game changers are innovative general managers working a salary cap or you know seven six fours or, you know, uh, great culture centers like Jimmy Butler and Nikola Jokic, um, everybody's trying to bring their best version and part of a winning formula is by design and part of it is by necessity. Mm. And I am not sure which is more important you know sure. it's 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 funny uh you think you're going to set things up a certain way and then you know Nas Reed you know is was that wasn't by design yeah. you know suddenly the uh, the idea that i think animates a good portion of this timberwolves fan base is what if we have Nas Reed in this Biggs mm. idea package you know because Lo and behold, of the three bigs on this team, the one that kind of fits the weird NBA, yeah. you know, uh dynamism is, is a na- is a nascent Nas Reed. Yeah. you know, and so uh that's by accident. And you know,
1: uh Well, it's just I, I find myself sometimes ask ask myself, like, well, what is the formula? Right. Like what what it, what is in the heart of hearts and private conversations of Tim Connolly and Dell Demps and Matt Lloyd and the, the front right. office there? Like, what are you aiming at? And I don't mean that in a pejorative way of like, like right. you're aiming at nothing. You're obviously aiming at, at at something. Is it is it a moving target or is it a predetermined target? Because if it were a predetermined target and it were to be. Absolutely, unlock the identity of the two bigs thing. Then, letting Nas go would kind of spit in the face of that. But there's also plenty of logic, as we've talked about extensively, about letting go of Nas for financial reasons and salary cap and the way in which you're building this team, or if that is even a good thing to aim at in the first place. Even if Nas unlocks it, it's kind of it is dynamic. Yet, I think in today's day and age part of the reason why teams can't find that dynamism to have one plan one year and kind of shift it two years later, is it's so prohibitively expensive to start a plan, right? That you can't get off of it two years later and you find yourself quote unquote stuck, which is where the cynics would say the wolves direction. Yeah, that is, that, that is, is
2: the biggest criticism mm-hmm. you could make of the Gobert deal right now. Now, yeah. you know, I have been critical of the Gobert deal. I am less critical in the idea that it hamstrings them as I am that um, the fit is extremely difficult. I I believe in the modern NBA, you can find ways to do workarounds if you have some core talent and you can figure it out. I mean, I actually think that the I, I suspected this when the trade was made. But the Conley Fadilo deal that threw in Na,
1: yeah, that,
2: that's that's huge. Huge. I mean that, that that was an enormous step forward for this franchise heading into 23-24. Good point. Uh you have a point guard who is universally respected not only in the locker room, but in the referee's locker room <laughs> and in the opponent's yeah. knowledge of you know what he is about. And you've got uh, a, a a guy who every good team has a guy like Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's an eighth or ninth man. The Heat would love to have him right now. You know, I mean, the fact that Gabe Vincent got hurt was a huge factor last night. Uh, the fact that Caleb Martin has done what he's done in this series is not that great a surprise. It, it is that he's so fully embodied it. But yeah. who didn't think Caleb Martin would be a guy to be impactful? You know, right? Yeah. In in the mix, you know. I mean, he's fearless, and so to get a guy that's like your eighth man wing uh, mm-hmm. botherer who can also score a little bit and is fearless and upgrade your uh, locker room, uh, um, you know, repertoire and respect level uh, with one deal. That is almost as much of a positive or maybe as much of a positive as the after effects of the go bear thing were a negative. And so that's, you know, we, we've got to count those things in and and I actually continuing on this and probably ranging further afield uh you know Walker Kessler being drafted by uh Tim Connolly, sure that's a feather that's a feather in the dude's cap I mean it's it's a shame that he turned around and gave him away uh, be-
1: because he was not it wasn't a Utah saying, hey draft this guy for us and then we'll right, then we'll right, the, right. no the, it was a if the Gobert trade didn't materialize, the wolves would have had Walker Kessler this year because they and thought he was a good. Walker
2: figure. Kessler has proven that he was exactly what last yeah. year's roster, the twenty one twenty two roster mm-hmm. needed defensive rebounding, rim protection, intelligence, being able to move the ball, being able to run the court pretty well for a big dude. Um, all those things, yeah, it was a great draft pick. Josh Minot, you sure. know, where he was taken, you know, we'll just ignore Wendell Moore Jr. for now. Uh <laughs> Josh Minot, to me, what a great stash candidate. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's another guy. I'm I'm really high on that. Tim Conley has done a lot of good things. His most pronounced and culture-changing thing as of right now looks really bad. Yeah. But uh, he has accrued things on the other side of the ledger that can't be, you know, ignored. And I, I just have to hope that if they can't get off this bear thing, with you know, bringing it full circle as to why I went down this path to begin with, you know, we're talking about how much of the future did he punt? Well, I don't know because. Smart guys can, can get things that you, you don't realize they can get, you know? I mean, if they don't have a draft pick, yes, that's a problem. But you have one every other year, and you have a little bit of flexibility, and you can make trades, and you can figure it out. And he and Finch right now are a team. And so there are ways, if you look at Minot and naw and Jade McDaniels and see – a way to, you know, have some really interesting defense and throw Nas and Cat and Gobert and Slobo into the mix. And all of a sudden you have the potential to be a really versatile, big team. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go big in a number of different ways. And I think that's what really appeals to Chris Finch. And it may be that that can be the workings of a culture by which, you have those guys that you have a bunch of big wings, you have a sensei at point guard, and you have your dynamic scorer and ant. And maybe all that comes together in a mix that there's your chemistry, you know, there's what you do.
1: I'll we'll grab another break here, but I, I want to continue on this topic because I think we're talking about the benefit of hindsight here, which. Can be inappropriate to do, but is I think also very relevant uh, to to where where the wolves are at. So quick break, and I'm going to come back and jump back in on this topic. with Today's show is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. I've been telling you all season about Hyacinth with their amazing food and warm, inviting atmosphere. And with the sun starting to come out, this is the perfect time to check out Hyacinth. Hyacinth does partner with local farms, and their chefs visit the Metro Farmers Markets four times a week as these markets open back up. So you know. That no matter when you are eating at Hyacinth, you are having the freshest and most vibrant food Minnesota has to offer. St. Paul does have the reputation for being the sleepier of the two Twin Cities. And just like the Wolves are trying to change the narrative around their organization, Hyacinth wants your help to change the narrative about St. Paul. Hyacinth is also offering a $10 gift card for every reservation made after 8 p.m. So to receive your gift card, make a reservation on their website at hyacinthstpaul.com and you will receive the gift card on arrival. Limit one gift card per party, and you must follow through with your reservation, so no show, no gift card. And then finally, Hyacinth is happy to announce the return of their sidewalk patio beginning Tuesday, May 16th. What started as a pandemic pivot has become a tradition at the restaurant. Reservations specifically for outdoor dining can also be made at their website, which is, again, hyacinthstpaul.com. That's three more reasons to try out Hyacinth and St. Paul, a restaurant that has become a favorite of mine in the Twin Cities. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20 by 20 solutions.com. That's T E A M at 20x20 solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together. A plan before you need to make any commitments. Twenty by twenty solutions: technology, workflow, architecture, strategy—they're your sixth man on a winning team. So, Brett, as the the Walker Kessler thing that you brought up, I think brings uh, it brings to mind to Wolves fans a path not taken, right? And and I think that path not taken again—not doing the Go Bear trade and just kind of but. building off of that team while adding. Walker Kessler to the mix and Josh Minot to the mix, the younger group kind of growing to to some degree would have been the Denver model, right? As we we're talking about the Legos and the different blueprints, right? And and that sort of that sort of thing. And and yeah, with hindsight, if you had to do over, yeah, you 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 do that over. But again, as somebody who can see value in the going all in type of thing and has some belief in the quote unquote super team thing that I know we poke some holes in. I don't, I don't think we can just say because the path not taken was a really good path that there aren't ways to have made this, this current path still juicy, right? You're maybe your margin for error has shrunk, whatever, whatever. But yeah, we could we could sit here and be like, OK, well, if you had Walker Kessler and you don't get Gobert and then you still have Vanderbilt in here and now you have more room for Nas to be, be there in that sort of situation. And yes, in my opinion, way better situation. But to what we we're talking about at the top of like, I don't think in the NBA today there's only one way to do it. There are multiple ways that the Wolves can get to this top echelon of the league, Western Conference Finals type of thing. It is a more clouded path now, but I I do believe if you continue to make those Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander Walker moves like that and bearing some sort of like catastrophic cat or Rudy drop off injury type of thing, there's a way, whether those guys remain on the team or are traded for something else that gets like, I think as I've reflected a month out of this, it's not at, it doesn't need to be as dire straits as I thought it was as we left game five uh, of that series, because these playoffs have reminded me that there's not only one way to do it, even though it's ironic that I think the the great success team of this playoffs is the Denver Nuggets and the Wolves had an opportunity to follow the the Denver blueprint and for one reason or another uh, cho- chose not to. And, you know, here they are, and I'm I'm just curious again in the, the Conley Brain Trust how their mindset has evolved. You know, in in 12 months, right. and and I and I don't know the answer to that, and they also don't have that many practical options other than to just tap into the value of that continuity, which again we've talked about being uh, a double edged sword. So it's all complicated, right? It, it's it's all complicated, but it's probably wrong to say anything is one path was perfect and one path is corrosive right it's it's always somewhere in the middle and then i think if we're being objective it's probably closer to the corrosive end than it is uh the the perfect one but you still got ant and there's a there's a way to thread this needle that it's something that looks like ant is jokic and you still Ascend with the ascendant player. You're able to get yourself out of the way and not not let the GM and the moves that you make prevent something great uh, from happening. And that's what they were, that's what they're paid all this money to do. And Tim Conley has a history, literally, of of having done that. And I'm just trying to open my mind up, maybe just for my own sanity, to the idea that that this is possible. And I think we have a couple more bullet points here that from these playoffs that that suggest it is.
2: Yeah. I think that I come back to the idea that I have my pessimism, I've laid down my pessimistic markers, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to say, therefore, this is right or wrong, or therefore this. If it happens that the Gobert trade in year two works out a lot better than I thought it would, then I'll adjust my thinking Mm -hmm. and move along with it because that's what you do. I mean, I the
1: yeah, the alternative Watching, is just quitting and be like, ah, well, screw it. and I ba-
2: Following a basketball team is discovering what you don't know and remembering why what you thought was going to happen did happen. Trying to t- treasure the times when you stumble over wisdom and remind yourself in ways where when you were wrong, maybe why you were wrong and try to amend that i mean we're all just nobody's got if if anybody had the you know the 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 secret you know um then they would be the most valuable you know (laughs) gm of all but especially in this market with the culture that this team has laid forth in the past and what has happened in a variety of ways uh i always look forward to you know, every season is a new deal. I really like Chris Finch as a coach. I'm frankly looking forward to him kind of doubling down yet again on something that I don't agree with and I don't think is, is particularly wise about, you know, this activating the Gobert-Cat pairing. But at the end of the day, we'll see and we'll see what happens. It isn't like, There aren't things you couldn't do. There's like four negatives in that sense. But the the bottom line being that if cat and gobert doesn't work, you get off it. Ant and Jade McDaniels are young. Mike Conley will be around at least another year and perhaps longer to instill what he knows and how to play the game and how to think about the game to Ant. And you've got uh some interesting other people on this roster. Um, The Wolves remain a very interesting team to me. They do not uh, strike me as the kind of team that, uh, I mean, think about after they went to the playoffs with Jimmy and that whole thing, that was never a happy locker room anyway. You know, that was, you know, Jeff Teague defending cats usage or wanting to get usage yeah. in the goddamn playoffs while his coach was basically bad mouthing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were getting their ass handed to them, you know, three out of four games against the Rockets. So one, eight pairing that was, you know, kind of a different deal than the last one, eight pairing. We but, had, but I, I think thought.
1: you're right in saying that that's like a different type of toxicity than the toxicity that exists in the wolves. The toxicity that exists in this wolves team is real in that it is the way I view it is two pence. It's, it's prohibitive spending limits that are coming. And the fact that you don't know if the pairing of cat and go bear can work. It's a bad fit. Right. right. It's a and, bad fit. And, and there and there right. There's something inherently toxic about that. Right. But I think that type of toxicity is, is more able to be, Exercised from from a team than the Jimmy type that you're talking about, the Tibbs type, in in that like there was no once it got toxic, there was no path forward, and and I and while again I view the the financial restrictions that are coming and the stuckness of this team as very real, the intrigue of continuity still exists to some extent that it didn't with the, the Jimmy team six years ago, five years ago, whatever that was. Um, and, and yeah, and, and that makes this a team that to your point, I think remains interesting to track and to follow and to, to double down on when Tibbs doubled down on that other team back then. You're like, what the hell, you know what? We're playing out the string here. This, this isn't, this certainly well, isn't going anywhere.
2: Derek Rose, Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, Uh, two of those guys were heading for the nursing home and the other guy was heading for a fist fight with whoever didn't have the team the way he wanted the team, you know? And so the guys who were the back-to-back number one, overall picks in the draft, who they were supposed to develop did not develop surprise, surprise, you know? (laughs) Uh, Now you have a guy who got, votes and was a source of uh conversation around the league on the all defensive teams um who was taken at the end of the first round and has gone through three seasons now you have a guy who was an all-star in his third nba season and is widely regarded around the league as an up-and-coming star uh you have two big men who don't fit, but are both have been NBA all-stars in their own right. And then you have an interesting collection of uh, unique talents. Slomo is a unique talent, you know, not in his own way. I don't want to oversell him because we haven't seen enough of a sample size to say it's reliable, but is a unique talent. Uh, Josh Minot is a compelling prospect. Um You've got ingredients here that again, you
1: can't. If the have... only main two ingredients were cat and Rudy, then we would be like, This is toxic, need to change, no questions asked. But to your point, absolute with those other seeds that exist, and some of them that I mean, ant particularly, that is likely a seed that is going to blossom into something truly special, you can. Or I think what Conley and Finch's idea is is you can stomach the, you know, the incongruent fit of Cat of and Rudy, and then you can tell yourself the excuses that aren't idiotic, you know, that right that there wasn't con that continuity during the season in terms of Cat's injury and Rudy and all all of those sort of things. So it's. You can choose to just quit the Timberwolves, right? Because you don't think Cat and Rudy will work. Because in your head, you say, well, if that's not going to work, nothing's going to work. And that isn't logical. That isn't logical. It misses the point. It, it misses, misses the point. point. That's probably the way to put it. Yeah.
2: My, my cognitive dissonance with this team right now is that I think the Cat Rudy combination should be de emphasized. And I believe the brain trust in Finch and Connolly believe that it just hasn't been developed enough and they will take another crack at it. Well said. That's what, that's where my cognitive dissonance is with this mm-hmm. team. I believe that you figure out Cat and Rudy based on how they impact Ant, and to a lesser extent, McDaniels and then the crew of wings. We just talked about mm-hmm. how Mike Conley could sew it all together. Um, but I would make, Pat and Rudy, the second and third or third and fourth ingredients in my chemistry experiment. I would not make all these two elements coming together is the top thing in my experiment. And so that's where I'm coming from. Now, I'm willing. I would love to be wrong because then I cover a much better team. But even if I am wrong, I'm going to be looking for what happens then to the development of aunt mcdaniels and i'm going to be looking to how successful that blend can be and whether or not that is the best way to get mm. that most explosive most improvisatory thing yeah. that rockets you suddenly into that realm that we began this podcast talking about i happen to think it doesn't go in that direction but I'm as wrong as often as often I'm uh, right. So let's see, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys know more about basketball than I do. And I would love to be educated in how this pairing works in a manner that it justifies the treasure that was made to make it happen.
1: And at least back to the Conley point and to the Kyle Anderson point, the Nikhil Alexander Walker point, there have been other additions that, make sense in the greater context of not only this team but of the league and, and, and where it's going, right?
0: right? That
1: if the if the Colbert trade, you know, would have happened and then they simultaneously would have flopped on their mid-level exception and not got somebody like Kyle. If they would have got JaVale McGee, you know, that wouldn't have made any sense. Right, but like right. that happened last summer too, right? right? That that Kyle Anderson wasn't a flop. And I, this is just another way of saying like all the subsequent moves have been pretty much successful and it's it's a curious thing to be like well can you miss one big thing and then hit you know eight straight other smaller things and get yourself up to a respectable place and i think the answer is yes if you have an incumbent superstar in anthony edwards that Mm -hmm. can paper over that can paper over a lot of you know what isn't what isn't perfect right now. And um, I, again, like I've said a couple times, I'm, I'm more open-minded to the, to the possibility and also have come to grips with the idea that the trade already happened. The, right. the books are as prohibitive as they are. What, at this point today on May 26th, what alternative options do you have to pivot, right? It is limited. It is right. there are limited options you can do to to get off of this. And as much as everybody wants to, you know, flood the I you don't know, MBA or Wolves mind space with trading cap for you know picks, the third pick from Portland or this or that, and liquidate that asset point that i think people are missing in that is cat is about to get on what borders on a bad contract doesn't make him a bad mm-hmm. player right but that and when we talked about that last week i don't think we hammered that home enough that like cat's contract is kind of prohibitive and yeah you got to give up
2: 50 million dollars worth of stuff to get him
1: yes that in and of itself is is a is a is a huge thing and again we, as we've talked about before there's there's this window this season. Of before when it's thirty, he's going to make thirty six uh, next year. Where there's there's a window to get off of that before it becomes fifty. In ways, it it, it makes it easier, right? But as we've been talking about, there's an element there's an element of value in the continuity, and even if it's imperfect continuity, uh, to to move forward in that. Let you got any final no. like wolves thoughts, and then let's actually use the last segment to talk about the. Yeah, what happens?
2: What's happening now? Yeah, Uh, I I think that Phoenix is a good example. Chris Paul came to that team and was a catalyst.
1: Yes, I mean everybody. You're right. That was the Rudy hope. That was the Rudy. This is
2: this is a great thing. This veteran is you know doing things well. You know, at the end, uh, you know, Phoenix did dramatically change their. You know, they overplayed their hand. But what I am arguing now is that. As Chris Paul was doggedly trying to maintain his chops, Devin Booker surpassed him. And in my opinion, Miles Bridges, even before he left Hmm. for Brooklyn, was in the process of surpassing him. Uh, And they had some role players. Now what's happened to Aiden is, uh, you know, a peril of, you know, what we're talking about. That people can rise and fall. But the point being is... Again, it kind of, I'm repeating myself in that as important as Gobert is for what he represents and what he costs, he doesn't have to be the barometer by which this team rises or falls.
1: This team is only accessible, it only ever was going to be successful if Ant got better than Gobert. And then, kind of to the, which was the, that's the Devin Booker one, right? To the Chris Paul example. Right. And then, and also to the Mikhail Bridges one. That it became a question mark if McDaniels or who was better between the two of those. And as dysfunctional and bad as the trade was and all those things, those two things seem likely. That that ant is going to surpass if he hasn't already surpassed Gobert, I'd say probably has probably just better than Gobert as of today. And McDaniels looks like he's probably a couple years away of doing the Bridges, okay, Chris Paul. I mean, thing.
2: yeah, the Bridges thing, right? Yeah, right. I like that. So like that. again, so that is, if you're looking for, the Wolves have to start over. I've covered this team since 1990. You have no idea <laughs> what starting over means. If you think having Anthony Edwards and. Jaden McDaniels in their fifth and sixth seasons is starting over because it isn't (laughs) starting over is when, you know, you get a poo poo platter for Kevin Garnett and your best player is a guy who can't play defense. And you get four other guys, one of whom Ryan Gomes becomes your best player in year three after the Garnett deal. Uh, I mean, Ryan fucking Gomes as good as he was as a guy is your seventh man. He's not your best player.
1: No, no, there's a,
2: I can always pull up my woe is wolves card if anybody really wants to, uh, you know, talk about, oh, the wolves are taking a step backward. I, You know, they're about 75 steps out of the ditch I've seen them in.
1: So and the last thing, uh, to have the idea that you're going to have Jade McDaniels and Anthony Edwards when they're fifth and sixth years players for when you quote unquote start over um, this summer, it's critical to get those guys inked, you know, Yes. Have them yeah. long term committed uh, to contracts as, you know, as is the assumption assumption for sure. And Conley with is aware of that.
2: Yes. That's, you yeah. know, one yeah. thing I will say about Conley is that, you know, he understands existing assets.
1: He does. And honestly, values them more. Just having looked at the Denver stuff a lot more values them more. And, and it's this it's part of my weird reason why. I think it's possible that Nas comes back is. Conley has a history of bringing back guys who have done well by the organs. He did that in Denver. And even if it didn't perfectly make sense within the cap structure and the roster construction and that sort of thing, like I, I haven't ruled it out in terms of what is actually going to happen. I've ruled out some of the right. logic in in my own head uh, for keeping it. But as, as always, that's going to be that's going to be a fascinating thing. Let's, g- let's grab one more break. And then let's talk a little bit about these uh, the Nuggets making it to the finals and then where we're at in uh, in Heat Celtics. One more segment here with Britt after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn durable frames, and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. It's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com, use promo code DANEMORE for 50% off two-plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. The Shades rated five stars by over 20,000.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: All right, back with Britt Robson. Post, Britt, the Denver Nuggets, who we've kind of talked about in this, are in the NBA Finals. They are feeling rather Spursy, um, like the nation uh San Antonio Spurs back in the day. I think that was always the aspiration of where that team was going back when you know Conley took it over, back when he made the decision to hire Mike Malone and continue on with Mike Malone after. I think the first three seasons, they didn't make the playoffs, uh, at all with Malone there. They're really, uh, obviously, you know, no new thought here, but they are a beacon for the value of that continuity that, that we've been talking about. And I think it's been, uh, it's been cool to see Jokic, uh, get kind of the shine, uh, that he deserves. And even more than that, whatever, I, I'm really frustrated with the coverage of everything right now, but, uh, just he's been impressive that's almost an an understatement he's been incredible
2: there are people who put in my opinion an inordinate amount of uh weight on whether or not you go deep into the playoffs and or some people just say ringer or bust you know in terms of the way they regard a player
1: context be damned Uh, yeah
2: yeah yeah i mean you know john stockton and charles barkley you know Who cares? You know, that kind of thing. And so what I think has been cool and what I noticed when we went to Denver uh, and watched this team in the first couple of games of the series and the way the populace and the media and the fan base and the organization were all regarding this, people know that this is a void in Jokic's resume and Jokic is beloved Mm
1: -hmm. around
2: everybody who deals with him on that team. I haven't heard a bad word about Jokic from anybody. Have you?
1: No, no way. The opposite. And
2: and so they know that this is ratification, validation for him. And I think that is a fueling factor
1: Mm -hmm. for them
2: right now is that, you know, okay, Embiid got the MVP. All right. Is it hope, beat around man. right now for yeah. all you people? You know, how'd it be doing game seven? You know, it's like, uh, you know, Jokic... it's been an
1: undeniable ratification. Yes. I mean, and, and that's what I'm saying is like, I think, you know, I think Jokic as of today has clearly become the unambiguous best player in the world right now. And, right. and it's, that seems like a quick shift off of Giannis. And it's, I actually don't mean that as disrespect to Giannis. He's certainly up there right, right next to him, but it's such a wild, been a wild progression of that kind of sinking in as the abiding perspective that Jokic is the best player in the world right now, after being someone who was so greatly questioned by the, not even the dum dums on TV, but the, even a lot of, smart people right you know right, right there was questions more technically about the ability to play defense effectively when when he's your center and how far he could really take you as a as a top player and to every one of those glass ceilings um he has really shattered uh particularly uh this season and and couldn't have and yet couldn't have done that without his teammates and that mentality that you're talking about where everybody in denver most importantly his teammates and coaches. We're behind this idea that this dude deserves said ratification.
2: And I think another thing that really impressed me being around Denver, it was nice to be around the team. You know, we weren't covering Denver, but the beat we were on mm. in the beginning of these playoffs in the first round was being around the Denver a lot. Yeah. And so uh, Mike Malone has grown enormously in this last year he struck exactly the right tone coming in about attention to defense. They have a defensive mindset. They were a mediocre defensive team this year, but he knew they had another level, and he knew how important that other level was. They were able to improve their defense without hurting their offense, and they were able to continue this uh, continuity they had to sacrifice Christian Brown because he just—he's too aggressive without mm-hmm. really knowing how to be effective in a playoff setting. With that aggression, he's too foul-prone. He made too many mistakes. He was too easily exploited.
1: But kind of like the other super discount, Jade McDaniel's.
2: Yeah, the other seven guys in that rotation, including Jeff Green of right. all people, have just been sterling, and they have traded. Heroics. Uh, At the end of the day, it's still it's exactly what you want in your chemical mix. Your top guy remains Jokic without question. Your top sidekick remains without question Murray. Mm. But Aaron Gordon's defense, and if it gets down to um, who guards Bam, if that's the matchup in this series, having a guy like Aaron Gordon who can guard Bam is phenomenally valuable, assuming that's the matchup. I would – you know, that's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Right. But the point being and, – and Porter has been using his length on defense in a way that he didn't in the past. KCP and Bruce Brown are the kind of fearless guys. Miami has a couple of them. You know, it's interesting that Philly didn't have guys like that. Yeah, Boston has a couple – you know, that come and go, but have mostly uh, been solid for them all year, Derek, Derek White. So the point being they have the right ingredients and it didn't require a lot of experimentation because they have it worked out. And some of that is that continuity, that roster building. And part of that also was the reliability of Jokic on number one. And then also, I don't think this is given enough credit. Um, Murray didn't even play the past two postseasons because he was hurt. Yeah. And and they they bookmarked his role. I mean, they basically held his role open for him mm-hmm. for two barren seasons. Yeah. And he's back now as the designated scorer when you need a bucket from deep. And it's like they never left the bubble. Here it is, and that is enormous patience. And for those of us, you know, who's saying, "Well, you know, we got to get off this Gobert thing or trade cat or you know That's whatever," another continuity uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, hats off to him. You know, I mean, and and Christian Brown was a good draft pick. Uh, KCP, I I derided that signing because I was a big Monty Morris guy. I didn't know if KCP would translate. He understands what it's like to play with great people. He played with LeBron and he mm-hmm. played with AD in the bubble. So, I mean, they have, it's always kind of good to have guys who have been sidekicks to great players Yeah, being able to play with another great player. So, you know, that that's also a positive. And then, you know, Bruce Brown, what a revelation. Uh, you know, it's, it's a fun team. Denver is a fun team. As somebody who doesn't like super teams, I really enjoyed the Phoenix series because Devin Booker showed out. There was no way you could argue with mm-hmm. the idea that Phoenix just didn't have their superpower. Um, yeah, KD had a bad series. That's because Aaron Gordon was on him. Yeah. But Derek Gordon shot lights out and they still got clean, you know? Mm-hmm. it's 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 a great... It's a great lesson for uh, team basketball and continuity. And if they do wind up playing the Heat, uh, it's kind of too bad. I was kind of hoping the Heat would sweep because then I wouldn't have known who to pick. Right. Uh, because I think the Heat have been a phenomenal success story, too. Mm-hmm. And if you knock off the number one seed and the number two seed in between, oh, I mean, book ended around beating the number four seed. Uh Okay, you know, especially in the top-heavy East. So uh, that would have been something. I think Miami has been damaged. I was actually very surprised that Bam and Jimmy both came out flat for what I thought was an important game for them. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect them to win that game, but I expected them to put up a fight. Uh, And so I think that just a little bit of doubt is in a team that, you know, had a negative net rating during the regular season and you got a little bit of doubt now that wasn't there 2 games ago. And I still think they're going to win the series, but I think that their chances against Denver are not nearly as strong as I thought they were 3 days ago.
1: Yeah, I want to I want to spill over into Miami and the Boston series here in a second, but I, I want to say one more thing about the about Denver and and you kind of led with it was the and I'm glad that You were out there too to to feel that thing. And I that I'm sure some people listening to us being like, what do you mean you could feel it? Like, and I used to think that. Like, you know, you know, watching so-and-so beat reporter go on ESPN and talk about the being able to feel that a team is quote unquote special. I always thought that was kind of BS. But it's been interesting for me this season. I, I covered six games at Ball Arena this year because i you i went out to Denver. yeah i went i went out <laughs> to the yeah right i went up to the the two wolves denver games and i also i was out there a, a night before a wolves nuggets game and and the nuggets were playing the blazers and so i went and i don't really do anything and ask any questions but i went two hours before the game and i was sitting there you know watching warm-ups went to the pregame, postgame post-game pressers locker rooms and stuff after that so it's three regular season games and then the three we were there for in Denver and it's the first time for me, obviously, cause I've covered the wolves, but like it was, has been cool individually to have felt that. And I, I did feel that there, you know, back in, I don't know, it was January or something. The, the first time I was out there and I, yeah, I, I don't like how this sounds all like magic in the sky or, or something like that. But I guess to, Juxtapose it against what I'm used to in having done that hundreds of times at Wolves games. It's just different. And and it's it's probably just a long way of saying culture and team and and allowing that to grow. But you can just you can feel it in Denver. You can feel it around that team. You can feel it starting with Jokic, but not tied exclusively to him. And, right. and it really, it took me a while and, you know, to really embrace this because I even went into the Denver Phoenix series thinking Phoenix was going to win it. But I watched that game. I think I said this last week too, but I watched that game one of Suns Nuggets and I just like shook my head and said, no, this was the best team. This was it. And I got sucked up and whatever my thought processes are about super teams uh, and the idea of Durant and all all of that, or I got, you know, let me be jaded about some things about Jokic and them not being my traditional vision of what a champion is today. But it was that game one against the Suns Nuggets. and I go, nope. I think I'd said it on here. I'm like, this is the team that's going to win the championship. And. And that comes from having watched them a lot, and I I could, right. and we have talked about the X's and O's and what they do and what Jokic brings and what Gordon has brought and what Murray has brought, but this is a championship team, man, and I think two weeks from now, you know, they're going to be, regardless if it's Miami or Boston, th- this is their year, you know, and, and, and I would even say more than that, I think this is the beginning of something uh, for them, and they're going to be a force in this league for a long time because of Nikola Jokic and who he is and how he leads and how his constituents allow him to do it. It's a it's a special it's a special team and I also have some, you know, joy for a fan base and media corp who I see parallels to in the Minneapolis or the Minnesota community and the 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 beat media of here too it's it's a cool story and i'm glad just personally that i got to touch it as as much as i did this season and it it lets out kind of the inner fan and in you have like yeah man I, I want this to happen I, I want the nuggets uh to win the championship and that that isn't to, to pivot over to boston and miami that isn't to say i don't love parts about what miami is and i'm not right. really impressed by what boston is and can be but Boston or Miami, I think they got a hell of a task ahead of them if and when they get to uh, Game 1 of the NBA Finals in a week. it's The Nuggets are no joke.
2: And to piggyback, well said, by the way, piggyback on that, um, they're going to be grinding each other down. I mean, they already have this. Stuff. It's going six games, and it might go seven. Yeah. And uh, Gabe Vincent... was a nasty turn of the ankle uh kyle lowry i don't know what was wrong with that dude he's got some kind of finger problem whatever but all i know is he couldn't hold on to the basketball the entire first half uh and jimmy butler has to be sore or banged up i mean i'm sure some of it was mental the other night but he did not look himself uh you, they're a banged up team and Tyler hero may be coming back they're but, lacking you know, juice
1: right like that yeah, that's yeah. what and you know it's it's like it's Gabe Vincent you know like that shouldn't be the, Ooh, the man but
2: still Gabe what, Vincent
1: again but what did the, the game tell us the game told us that that team needed more self-creation of offense right yes, and right. they didn't have it because that's not Kyle, Kyle Lowry isn't what Gabe Vincent is in terms of role right and they didn't have Tyler hero to plug into that. Which Tyler Hero flawed player himself too, but like that was the first game where I was like, oh, damn, this team missed Tyler Hero. I think if you had Tyler Hero in game four or five, I guess particularly five, because Gabe Vincent didn't play, um that's the difference, right? They need a little bit extra juice to offensively to be able to counter what Boston can be at its best, which is that team that can bombard you with threes, but also high, high high-level defense, which credit to them in game five, they did that.
2: Yes. And I think back to Lowry for just a second, he is way, way past his prime. So what Eric Spolstra brilliantly did was put him in charge of the second union. Kyle Lowry could not play without an alpha attitude. But if Kyle Lowry takes that alpha attitude against an alpha opponent, he's oftentimes going to get his ass handed to him. Mm -hmm. So if you put him in in the second unit against the other team's second unit, you you notice that Lowry is not often, you know, especially as it's gotten into the Celtics who are, you know, deep. uh, He's not on the court with those great two-way players that they have, you know, because those guys can, and did embarrass him, you know, the other night. Uh, Gabe Vincent is fearless. And Kyle Lowry, while is somewhat fearless, um, has reason to be fearful now because he doesn't have what he used to have. Right. Uh, when you have a Caleb Martin and a Gabe Vincent and a Hayward Highsmith, of all people, I mean, once you've got a guys that are saying, all right, this is what I've been taught is heat basketball – I'm stepping up, next man down, here I am. Yep. That's their history. That's their only context, really, as NBA players. Is all right, I you know, in the the heat assembly line, it's my time to be on the court doing this. This is what the team has taught me how to do, so I will go and execute this. Uh that's the beauty of heat culture. Kyle Lowry has Tons of Raptor culture, tons of Houston Rocket culture before that. Grizzlies culture is thrown in there somewhere, I think. The (laughs) dude is, you know, he won a ring, you know, way back when. And so he's got a whole different mindset. He's busy trying to check himself. He's trying to do what LeBron did at a higher level in that uh, series against the Nuggets. He's trying to give people the best he can give them but he also kind of understands that. I mean, did you see LeBron on that final play that ended the Lakers season? He knew, he knew (laughs) that. I mean, he did not say, he didn't bitch about the call for change. He got tied up by Jamal Murray because everybody kind of knew he was going to get the ball and he was going to try to do what he always did, Mm -hmm. but he's not as strong and he's not as quick. And, that's it, you were done. And hats off to LeBron for kind of accepting that at the time. and and I what didn't surprise me, even though I don't believe it will happen that he right. thought about retirement right afterwards. Kyle Lowry, if this team gets bounced and he can't deliver, maybe thinking retirement himself. That's the deal here is that if they Heat have the people in place to do what they do, and Bam and Butler again become as resilient as Jokic and Murray have been. Yeah. You know, that was a, the pathway they were on after three games. And then the subsidiary people can do their magic. And KCP and Caleb Martin are doppelgangers. And you know, you've you know, Bruce Brown and Gabe Vincent are doppelgangers. Mm-hmm. You know, these things can happen that way. You do have somewhat of a formula. Different chemistry involved, of course. But without Gabe Vincent, without Tyler Hero, with Kyle Lowry suddenly having to be promoted into a place where he fails more than he succeeds, and without a motivated Butler and and Bam. And a lot of that had to do with the desperate Celtic team that was just suddenly joyous that they weren't choking for a change. (laughs) Um, It was a blowout. And it does cast out on the series. I was snide about people who were trying to say that the pressure was on the heat after a three one thing because that's ridiculous they can lose two games in a row and still be there but now it's real because that was a thrashing well you know they never they never they never led Yeah, you know, the heat never led and and boston clearly was the superior team from start to finish
1: yeah it's like for boston to you know, if we would have had the conversation of like, okay, what would have it taken to to come back from a three o deficit right? It would be that Boston would need to both make their shots and play defense at a more consistent level to super distill it down, right like right, those right. are those were prerequisites to come back from it. but to do also what has never been done before and come back from a three o deficit, they also needed help from the other side and right. And the way I was kind of thinking about that was like, you know, Bam's got to like roll his ankle and be out for the rest of the series or, uh, you know, and and then the, he try to squeeze one out in in four games. And now that, something that big didn't happen. Jimmy didn't get really hurt or Bam didn't really get hurt anything like that. But they are already depleted and they are an eight seed and they are a team that has millions and millions of dollars not on the floor right in it so they had they were outscored they yeah. were outscored in the regular season I, uh, yeah which is that is just as much as heat culture is a, is a thing and can elevate you like there was a finite there is a finite level to where Miami can go right and and it's again it's this margins thing where as small as it seems uh, to, you know, to have maybe, you know, Gabe Vincent need to miss a game. It's big. And for Kevin Love to, you know, well, he he hurts his back. And, you know, I think he played like 13 minutes last night. It's that small thing. It's Kyle Lowry not having the size of a gas tank that he had before. And it's, it is shaping up to be an opportunity where the Celtics could do this. Like there's right. enough stuff that they're doing right. Not I'm not trying to take away from Boston because they've right. done a hell of a lot right in these last two games but there's enough that Miami doesn't have that I, I really do think it's it's possible that we see our first ever comeback from from down 3 right. I would I would still bet heat right now. Yeah. Um, Odds are about equal. I think it's like Miami minus 130 I I, I saw but which is essentially a coin flip as how Vegas views it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I just happen to think that uh the celtics have their own issues mm-hmm. golden state exploited them um tatum is incredibly streaky uh totally god i mean you know and, me. and 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 i do think that the depth of their two way wings is extraordinary i mean they go four deep mm-hmm. five deep with guys I mean Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I mean, right. yeah, it's it, that's it, it, pretty phenomenal quartet of players, mm. you know. And Al Horford could switch almost down to the one. He could switch two through five. Yeah, uh, you know, Grant Williams is a. And finally, they're using the motherfucker. I mean, I can't <laughs> believe that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and so.
1: Well, that's the thing that was standing in their way too. Is it was Missoula really struggled at the beginning of the yeah. series too? That was part of the reason why Miami got to 3-0.
2: And now uh, I think the fact that
1: Missoula is pissed is it's really so helpful. pissed.
2: I mean, <laughs> it's,
1: it's so funny. Man, watching these interviews, you're me. like, I'm like, I've been, I've been around Tibbs enough or Ryan Wing Saunders enough to be like, man,
2: alone <laughs> because he knows that if he doesn't win the next two games, he's probably getting fired, and oh, yeah. he. Does not give one flying about anything you're thinking about. Uh,
1: that that in-game interview, I think it was before the fourth quarter last time, <laughs> whatever it was. Oh my god, it I'm was like, like
2: six words in answer to two questions. You know,
1: that's the that's the vibe you get where, like, would me and you with Wolf stuff, where we go, yeah, maybe we'll skip the locker room tonight. You know, <laughs> and at the same time, in there. I thought it was really good
2: for the Celtics because, um. The Celtics know that, look, this guy was appointed two weeks before the season. He didn't have his own staff. He won 57 games right. and he's in the goddamn conference finals. Right.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: it's, I, I was born and raised in the Boston area. You yeah. know, I, mean, I get the fan base, you know, yeah. I'm in many respects a product of that fan base mm-hmm. in terms of it being, you know, you, you don't mind speaking your mind and you're willing to defend what you say. And yeah it'll take a while for you that you're wrong if you're wrong
1: mm-hmm. and
2: talk radio I mean was meant for Boston <laughs> so literally it I get it you know I mean I I, I get the culture there mm-hmm. uh and also by the way the phenomenal history that you know that team has to you know
1: live up further mm-hmm.
2: yeah and so there is there's some interesting things going on the great part of it is, For the celtics and the reason why if i'm going to if if i'm going to argue that the celtics can win this thing i would say that they've already seen their funeral they've already seen themselves shot in the head they've already seen themselves dead and buried and having everybody flashed on the middle finger and now Mm -hmm. everything is great right because what else are they going to say if they lose this? You know? Yeah, we've already nobody, wrote
1: the obituary. Yeah,
2: Nobody is going to be as hard on the Celtics, regardless of what happens mm-hmm. in the next game, as they were after game three. <laughs> it just isn't going to happen. So they really, in that respect, have nothing to lose.
1: Yeah. Which is uh, sets up for... Uh for a fun finale, you know, to that series too. I am, you, you said it a little bit earlier. I'm a little bit bummed that whoever does come out of that series is going to be a little bit more yeah. knocked down, dragged yeah. out, uh, yeah. Yeah. sort of feeling as we get to Thursday for, for that game. But uh, I don't well, it's know. All I mean, about we'll Butler and Bam. Yeah. Uh, Butler and Bam have
2: to be the guys that give protection mm. to the Caleb Martins and Gabe Vincent's. And Bam's and been doing Duncan, a good job Duncan, of that
1: with Duncan Robinson. I was just going to say, Robinson, yeah. That, exactly. thats credit to Bam there too of kind yeah. of elevating a, a needed uh, extra part uh, to this. Yeah. It's like, you're the driving they, down the road they, and losing parts, like it's the
2: turnovers, you know. And some of it, I thought the refs actually gave the Celtics a lot of calls early. Uh, but again, you know, it's I will say that the refereeing. They, they swallow their whistles a lot more. I think it makes for a lot better game. Yeah. Uh, i I can quibble with certain calls at certain times, but at the end of the day, you can't say that some team was irrevocably jobbed yeah. by a whistle, you know, which is really nice to see after the regular season we just had, but totally. you know, I, I think that uh it will be interesting to see if Butler gets the whistle on the things that Butler usually does to get the whistle or not, Mm -hmm. and whether or not smart gets rewarded. Smart and uh, Lowry are arguably the two most
1: uh,
2: clever floppers (laughs) in the NBA. So in that respect, it's kind of fascinating, but uh, so far the refs have not you know, I'm. In fact, I'm. I'm almost regretting that I even brought it up because I don't think that we, Miami wins that game, regardless of what the rest did. Yeah. So, it's kind of a moot point. It's going to be Game Six. I think is the game. Um, I think the Celtics have a Game Seven uh, that they can always harken back to uh, if they go seven. Right. Hey, we've been here before. and We absolutely blew the doors off an opponent
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and, and the heat have their culture and what they've done. And what they've done is when it got to the six games against the Knicks, they finished. And when things were getting worrisome against the bucks, uh, they finished, they finished a game that was in doubt toward the end. Uh, So, Game six, I think, is the game, no great revelation there. But even then, the Heat are not as uh impregnable as they looked three days ago, and that is too bad.
1: Yeah, it well it again, my favorite thing of these playoffs is it's been extremely hard to predict. And yeah. and even down to this series here, it's you know, not great analysis, but I could see it going either way, right? Like, yeah. Right. I, I, I could and, and even to the I know everyone's kinda like, oh, if they get back to Boston, it's over. Like I could even see a war like fairly recently. It depends.
2: Yeah. If it's a blowout, if it's a blowout Miami,
1: yeah. I don't think
2: Miami has a chance at seven because that's when I'd everybody goes, Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Miami is an eight seed. And Boston is like the most complete team in the NBA, probably. They had the highest net rating. Uh then, you know, when they're going home, then I can see it. But if if Boston wins in a nail biter in game six, Miami will have that strength to go. Yeah, I guess that's on. what I'm
1: saying. Yeah. And Eric Spolstra is still on that sideline. That's true. That's that's true. Um so la- very last thing. Who would have a better chance of beating Denver if they were to advance?
0: Um, probably
2: the Celtics. I would not have said that I know, before. That I, right? I, yeah. You know because I think the, they'd what, have the Heat court
1: too, right? Yeah.
2: I was actually thinking about the idea of taking the Heat over the Nuggets when they were both three and zero because the Heat just looked like uh
1: you know i mean they are able to special in their own right yeah and then they're able to
2: take apart key cogs of an opponent you know uh and so you know it, it now it's just it's hard because, I guess what I would say is, to me, it comes down to depth. Hmm. If Denver, Denver can really only go eight, I think. Yeah, uh, and that's bringing Christian Brown back. The Celtics can go legit nine.
1: Yeah, uh, they could go deeper my, if they needed to be. My in Miami,
2: once you start to get down to the highsmiths, and you know, even I mean. I will be surprised if Kevin Love is a factor against that front court. I don't know how he factors in against the, you know, I mean Kevin Love against Jokic, Kevin Love against Aaron Gordon, Kevin Love against Michael Porter Jr. Just tell me where the matchup is there. I mean, yeah. it's just not there. He's not fast enough. He's not strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um
1: so I don't know where, you know, and then Jeff Green. Maybe, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he'll play, so it's good. They're going to yeah, choose he'll the play. best. Yeah, he'll play, but I mean, that's the thing. Yeah.
2: And it isn't that he's been this huge factor in most of the no, games.
1: They, that they, just, they need an innings eater. Like that, right, that's exactly. what we're talking that's about. That's exactly
2: a very good point. That's a great way to describe him. He's one of those starters that you use, like you use an opener in baseball. Yeah. You use your relief pitcher at the first <laughs> inning or two. So you get a better matchup with your starter in the third inning. Yeah. So, you know, I it it I think depth is why Denver beats Miami. I think that is the reason why I would take the Celtics as a better opponent. Also, I would say that uh the kinds of things that Jimmy Butler and Bam do uh Denver wants that type of series. Denver wants to get play rugged, they want to play rugged, you know, mm. and Boston is space and pace and Denver can play that way too, but they haven't played a space and t- pace team, yeah, like like Boston yet in the playoffs. You know, that they play the Wolves, you know, and they play the uh Suns yes. and then they play the Lakers. Uh different, all of those are different. All those are
1: slow pace teams. That only really had success against them when they ratcheted up the tempo, but
2: right. And none of those teams could really be the takeaway artists to take the, the turnover creators yeah. that Boston can be when Boston's at its best. Mm-hmm. So I can see Boston creating turnovers and hitting their threes, which is their formula. It's funny. You know, I, I ripped Charles Barkley so much during the regular season. It's always remarkable for me to watch him when the games really matter because he's been actually watching the games and thinking, say, yeah. and thinking about the games. And what he says about Boston, what he said the other night, he said, Boston is, uh, there are front runners, you know, they, when they do their thing early and they're doing, you know, their offense feeds into their defense and they get on a roll, everybody climbs on the bandwagon yeah. and away they go. You know, that's Boston. Well, Denver has enough resistance Mm -hmm. to prevent that front running most of the time i think that will be the key to the if it's boston and phoenix it will be whether or not boston can break free and do their thing even against denver
1: yeah
2: uh and if they can then it's going to be an interesting series if they can't then it's going to be five or six
1: right It is an open possibility. I know I feel like when we were talking earlier, I basically like crowned Denver. Like I, I mean, yeah, I I think Boston could do it. As crazy as that sounds, if somehow they got out of this and we just got there to a finals where they were both in. I mean, that's, I think that one's going long. If even as much as I do believe in Denver, I,
2: well, again, um, they swept the Lakers. Wolves, it took five sons, it took six with those two games in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Devin Booker just being like Superman. Yeah. Uh, they are a really good team mm-hmm. and they're a really sound team. And all the things we just got through saying, and about that's
1: him, what Boston isn't, Britt, is they are not a right. sound team, right? Right, and they
2: are a team that is prone to mental lapses and they are a team that likes to diddle with their roles, right? They like to, you know, like. Uh, you know,
1: yeah.
2: our what? What are we doing? I love Jalen Brown. I really do. I, I, I. For the longest time, I have said he was better than Tatum. Until I, I couldn't say it anymore because it factually just wasn't true. But I wanted, I wanted him to be because mm-hmm. I, I love the way he plays. Um, but I do not, not want that dude being the guy who decides the game. If I'm a Boston Celtic yeah. fan and Marcus Smart if Marcus Smart is doing intangible things mm-hmm. that's what i want when Marcus Smart has to do the tangible things to win or lose the game i don't want that either you know right. i i would i would rely more on uh uh al horford and uh especially Tatum obviously and grant williams i mean i can see guys like that even Derek White, if he continues to be uh, what he's been in this series as opposed to the no-show in Philly. Um, but they're deep, and and that's the their vice and their virtue. Their virtue is that there are so many players that can give you something really good, really good. Yeah. And the, the vice of that is that they try to sort it out every game And if the sorting doesn't come easily, they start to feel a little bit, you know, finicky about Mm -hmm. things. And they they start to, you know, they're they're like an engine that's missing every now and then. The acceleration, you know, like the engine revs and the car doesn't go.
1: Yeah, no, it's, well, and it kind of ties back to what we were talking about again off the top of that series would be a fascinating, uh, collision of roster constructions right and that's what you're kind of right. getting at with the the depth point i'm I'm excited I'm excited to get there but you know also want to enjoy game six and seven if we get there of of heat Celtics so be fun to watch but this was I think this is a good good chat on uh we we, <laughs> we focused on the wolves a little bit more maybe we haven't scratched that uh itch in a while but but this was good again if you guys want to uh come and chop all this stuff up with uh, Britt and I uh, we'll see you next Thursday at uh at Falling Knife for Game One uh of the finals. Uh thanks for listening. Again, we're it just this is the one one episode uh this week. I I was out of town previously and um you know kind of diving back into diving back into these series. I mean I was watching them there, but we're gonna continue uh talking about uh, the, these playoffs through you know till the bitter end, and then we got like five days. Then and the draft. NBA draft, right? Then right after that, it's who are the Wolves gonna take in the second uh, round? Right, 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 right. Yeah, and then I mean, it's the NBA, the the schedule they've made. They they don't go away because then it's free agency on July first. It's summer league on July seventh, and then finally like six weeks of hibernation, but. Well, uh, Britt and I will keep chatting about it until um, you know, till the bitter end. Again, hope to see you uh, next Thursday at Falling Knife. Until uh, then, you can call Britt on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at DaneMooreMBA. And, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see you at Falling Knife. Until then, peace out.
2: How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let Santa's ever out, bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around you.